Section 1 of By Ox Team to California, A Narrative of Crossing the Plains in 1860. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. By Ox Team to California, A Narrative of Crossing the Plains in 1860 by Lavinia Honeyman Porter. Chapter One: Preparations for a Journey, Bidding Farewell, The Start. It was in the fall and winter of 1859 that my husband and I decided to emigrate to the far west. Imprudent speculations and other misfortunes had embarrassed us financially to such an extent that our prospects for the future looked dark and forbidding. We then determined to use the small remnant of our fortune to provide a suitable outfit for a lengthy journey toward the setting sun. We were both young and inexperienced, my husband still in his twenties, and I, a young and immature girl, scarce twenty years of age. I had been raised south of Mason's and Dixon's line. My parents were well-to-do southern people, and I had, hitherto, led the indolent life of the ordinary southern girl. My husband, educated for a profession, knew nothing of manual labor, and had no idea of any other vocation outside of his profession. Nor had he the training to make a living on the plains of the West, or the crossing of the continent in an ox team a successful venture. However, we had youth in our favor, and an indomitable will to succeed, and I have since learned by experience that a kind providence watches over fools and children. Since that long-ago time when I look back at the temerity of our undertaking, I have wondered why and how our older and wiser friends permitted us to be turned loose upon the wilds of the West without a guardian. We were two such precious dunces, but with a most exalted ego, and the utmost confidence in our ability to brave the dangers of the undertaking. A journey across the plains of the West was considered a great event in those early days. It was long thought of and planned seriously with and among the various members of the family to which the would-be traveler belonged. Whoever had the temerity to propose turning their backs on civilized life and their faces toward the far-off Rocky Mountains were supposed to be daring with a boldness bordering on recklessness. Emigration then meant the facing of unknown dangers in a half-savage country. After many lengthy debates over the manner of transportation and a diversified quantity of advice from our numerous friends as to the merits of horses, mules, or oxen, we at last decided, and it proved to be a wise decision, to purchase three yoke of strong, sturdy oxen and a large, well-built emigrant wagon, roomy enough to hold all we wanted to take with us, and in which we might travel with some degree of comfort. In due time the oxen were bought. The six animals were young and had never been broken to the yoke. When they were driven to our home, turned loose in our barnyard, they were as formidable a lot of wild brutes as the eye ever gazed upon, as agile as deer, and as handy with their heels as with their horns. 
not one of us was brave enough to venture into the corral with them and we soon realized that we had six white elephants on our hands finally my husband found a negro man who agreed to break them to yoke and chain it proved to be rare sport to our neighbors watching them in the somewhat difficult task of training that bunch of young steers but with time and patience they became more amenable to yoke and chain and sullenly submitted to be attached and to draw the wagon i shall never forget the first time i ventured to ride behind them we had invited some of our neighbors who were brave enough to risk their necks to ride with us there were several ladies and children and a man or two included it was our intention to drive our new team a short distance into the country and give our friends a foretaste of what a journey would be behind the slow-moving cattle but before we had driven a block our skittish and newly broken team took it into their heads to run away down the hilly streets of our village pell-mell first on one side of the street then the other in vain my husband called whoa buck whoa jill to the leaders it only seemed to add to their fury and as they recklessly sped along in their blind rage the way proper matrons and prudish maids climbed and scrambled out of the rear end of that wagon was a sight to behold if not to describe after repeated trials and much patience on our part our wild oxen became tractable and long before the end of our journey we had become very much attached to them and they in turn had learned to love us becoming docile and kind as kittens any one of them would follow me wherever i led eat out of our hands or allow me or our little son to ride on his back the strong wagon with which we had provided ourselves had a staunch canvas covering made water-tight and firm enough to defy the ravages of wind and storm then came the loading and packing of provisions raiment and all the other paraphernalia necessary for a long trip what to take and what to leave behind us was the problem that confronted us every day many times was the wagon loaded and unloaded before it proved satisfactory many of our most cherished treasures had to be left behind to give place to more necessary articles the report of fabulous mines just discovered in the rocky mountains had extended far and near and the pike's peak excitement was then at fever heat it was at this time that thousands of people had set their faces westward towards that mecca of their hopes while our friends imagined that we too would make that point the end of our pilgrimage yet we had decided and promised each other that if pike's peak and its environments did not come up to our expectations we would push on to california with that final objective point in view we provided ourselves with provisions sufficient to last us for six months or even longer young as i was at that time we had been married nearly five years we had a dear little fair-haired son robert who was the pride and joy of our hearts i began at once to prepare an outfit for both him and myself which i thought suitable to wear on the plains in this i showed the callow ideas of an immature mind which would not be guided by older and wiser heads 
proving also that my conception of roughing it for six months was very primitive among the other necessary garments in my outfit i had made two blue cloth travelling dresses with an array of white collars and cuffs when a sensible elderly neighbor suggested homespun or linsey woolsey as being far more appropriate i scorned her advice these fabrics were worn only by the negroes in the south i assured her that i intended to look as neatly and well dressed on the plains as at home however i soon discarded my cloth gowns and my collars and cuffs as i will relate further on when our plans were fully matured and all our arrangements nearly completed for an early departure there was revealed to me a most startling discovery that in the course of a few months the stork intended to make us another visit welcome as he might have been under more favorable circumstances his promised coming in the near future brought consternation to our hearts and we were afraid our plans would all have to be changed we feared the perils of our journey might prove to be too hard for me to endure under these new circumstances but i was well young and strong had the courage and bravery of ignorance besides we hoped to reach the end of our destination and find a home and resting place before the final advent of the stork's promised visit which i was careful to conceal from my friends i did not wish to give my dear parents any unnecessary worry they were already filled with dread and anxiety at the undertaking we had so lightly assumed we concluded to make the best of what could not be helped and with stout hearts still continued our final preparations everything now being in readiness we waited impatiently for the warm days of spring as we were to depend mostly on the wild grass of the prairie for food for our stock which now consisted of the aforesaid three yoke of oxen a full-blooded arabian saddle-horse and a milk cow it was the third day of april eighteen sixty that my husband and eldest brother sam who accompanied us as far as pike's peak left the little town of hannibal on the mississippi river and started overland across the state of missouri for st joseph where by rail and train myself and my little son joined them we remained in st joseph a day or two to make my farewell visit to my dear sister who resided there on the fourteenth day of april we left st joseph driving aboard the ferry for the further shore of the muddy missouri river accompanied by my sister her husband and a few other friends we landed in a little village on the kansas shore and drove our friends out a few miles on the prairie and made our first halt for our noonday meal in which our friends were to join us for the last time it was a sorrowful picnic for our parting hour was near at hand seven and forty-seven years ago it was a serious thing to say good-bye to all that was nearest and dearest to uproot ourselves from home and go forth into the wilderness into many and unknown dangers my sister and friends were to return by the ferry to st joseph my husband and brother were too tender-hearted to remain and witness our sad parting they hurriedly gathered the cattle from where they were feeding on the short grass, yoked them to the wagon, put my little son into the wagon beside them, and 
drove slowly away, leaving me to bid my friends a long and last farewell. I never recall that sad parting from my dear sister on the plains of Kansas without the tears flowing fast and free. Even now as I write, although so many long years have passed since then, I cannot restrain them. We were the eldest of a large family, and the bond of affection and love that existed between us was strong indeed. It was like tearing our heartstrings asunder. But such sorrows are to be endured, not described. As she, with the other friends, turned to leave me for the ferry which was to take them back to home and civilization, I stood alone on that wild prairie. Looking westward, I saw my husband driving slowly over the plain. Turning my face once more to the east, my dear sister's footsteps were fast widening the distance between us. For the time I knew not which way to go, nor whom to follow. But in a few moments I rallied my forces, and waving a last adieu to my beloved sister, turned my dim and tear-stained eyes westward, and soon overtook the slowly moving oxen, who were bearing my husband and child over the green prairie. Climbing into the wagon beside them, with everything we possessed piled high between us, we turned our faces toward the land of golden promise that lay far beyond the Rocky Mountains. Little idea had I of the hardships, the perils, the deprivation awaiting me. When the reality proved to be more than my most vivid imagination had pictured it, I was still able to endure it with a staunch heart. But often, as I walked ahead of the team and alone, thoughts of home and of my dear father and mother would almost overwhelm me with grief. As each step bore me further from them, the unbidden tears would flow in spite of my brave resolve to be the courageous and valiant frontierswoman. I had been taught that a wife owed her first duty to her husband, and, hard as it seemed, I had the courage to do what I had promised under the highest and most solemn sanction. We had been several days on our journey before I began to realize the immolation and sacrifice I was to endure, giving up my comfortable home and all my dear ones, cut off from the congenial society of my associates and personal friends, the ease, luxuries, and comforts of civilized life, enduring the disagreeable drudgery of camp work, the constant exposure to the elements, the glare of the scorching sun, the furious and fearful thunderstorms that so often overtook us, the high winds and blinding, pitiless sandstorms that blew for days without cessation, the dread that settled down upon us at nightfall for fear of wild beasts and the other dangers that so often menaced us in our utter loneliness, the necessity of still moving onward each day whether we were in the humor for traveling or not. At first the novelty attending the starting out on such a trip and the continuous change of our environment kept up our interest. But as the days wore on, the irksome monotony of the journey began to pall upon me, and I spent many unhappy hours which I tried to conceal within my own breast, sometimes confiding to my journal my woes and disappointments, 
but managed to keep up a cheerful exterior before my husband and brother. Gradually, however, I became used to the peculiar situations by which I was surrounded, and learned by daily experience how to surmount the trials and difficulties, and with a naturally cheerful and optimistic temperament soon became philosophical enough to take things as I found them and make the best of the situation. Chapter 2. Camping in Kansas. A Novice with Campfires. Marching on Foot. Our first night in camp was near a small stream. On the banks were a few stunted and wind-blown trees. The forage for our stock was not good. During the night the cattle strayed from camp in search of better grazing, or the inclination for the old pastures, and turned backwards toward home. When morning dawned, we had nothing left but our Arabian steed, which fortunately we had securely picketed, or he too might have deserted us. James, my husband, took the horse and went back rapidly over the road we had traveled the day before. My brother, taking the field glasses, went on foot in another direction to find traces of our wandering herd. With my little son, I was left alone in camp to wrestle with the campfire and breakfast. I must admit that my first experience with real cooking was on this journey. Like many other southern girls, I had learned how to make a delicate cake or a fancy pudding, but never before had I tried to cook a meal. You can well imagine what a difficult task it must have been for me to build a campfire, get my kettle to stand upright on the rolling wood, keep the smoke out of my eyes and ashes out of the food, hampered as I was with my blue cloth traveling dress and the great effort required to keep my white cuffs clean. A short distance from our camp, an old man and his two sons had set up their tent. I learned that they also were en route for Pike's Peak, coming from their thrice remote New England home. I was conscious that they were watching my poor efforts very closely and after I had upset my coffee pot and the camp kettle had turned over and put out the little fire I had at last got started, the elderly man came to my assistance, rebuilt my fire, adjusted my kettle in the proper way, expressed his kindly sympathy in our dilemma, and then, bidding me a polite good day, returned to his own camp. As the morning advanced, my Yankee neighbors soon did up their camp work, folded their tent, and moved along on their way, leaving me alone on that forlorn prairie with not a soul in sight anywhere. Had I been a timid creature, I might have wailed my lonely plight. My little son and I ate our poorly cooked and joyless breakfast alone, after waiting long for the return of my husband and brother. Not until the noonday sun was high in the heavens were my tired and strained eyes gladdened by the sight of them afar off driving the lost cattle before them. After that experience, the stock was herded until bedtime and then securely staked to prevent another occurrence of that kind. I very soon discarded the blue cloth dress and white collars and cuffs, fully realizing that they were not just the proper thing for camp life. Fortunately, I had with me some short washed dresses, which I immediately donned, tied my much-betrimmed straw hat up in the wagon, 
put on my big shaker sunbonnet and my heavy buckskin gloves and looked the ideal emigrant woman the first days of such a journey however commonplace were interesting to us every faculty was on the alert even so trivial a thing as a jackrabbit rising out of the grass scared and scampering with long leaps striving to widen the distance between us was able to hold our attention or we watched the misfortunes of a fellow traveller by the wayside who in his great haste had neglected to lubricate his running gear properly hence a hot box which he was vainly trying to cool off with a wet blanket crossing a deep stream on whose opposite side were a few rough houses and the usual saloon the entire population turned out to see us drive through the village as we passed the last house an old crone was bending over her tub busily washing but she stopped her labors long enough to ask us in drawling tones be ye goin to pike's peak answering her in the affirmative we inquired the name of the village we were just leaving oh she replied this is mason city anywhere through kansas three or four log huts constituted a city my young brother who traveled with us was a youth of susceptible proclivities fresh from the restraints of college life and with the exhilaration of his new-found freedom unusually elated for was not his face turned towards the wonderful land of the golden west while we were yet children around the home fireside we had planned a life of travel and adventure and now our childish longings were to be realized he had an absorbing passion for nature for every curious formation of rock or stone a quick eye for all the beauties of the unfolding landscape a ready ear too for every touch of humour and was hilarious over the interminable picnic that he imagined we had begun nature had also endowed him with a nimble tongue and he was constantly telling us funny stories of college life often we would laughingly accuse him of drawing the longbow on relating some very unusual experience in vain we would try to outwit him and play our own jokes upon him but his lively retorts were nearly always to our complete discomfiture generous-hearted boy was he and round the campfires and over many of the wearisome stretches of our journey he made the hours seem shorter with his cheerful badinaz part of my work when in camp was cooking i have already acknowledged my great deficiency in that accomplishment the bread-making at first was a total failure when i attempted to make light rolls for breakfast they were leaden my husband wise man that he was ate them in silence but my humorous brother less polite called them sinkers i felt chagrined at my failure but persisting in my efforts i soon overcame the mysteries of the dried yeast cakes with which i had been supplied and in a short time learned to make sweet and wholesome light bread as we had no tent we slept in the wagon my brother taking the rear end for his pullman spreading his blankets above the bales and boxes never seeming to mind the ridges and uneven surface of his couch james myself and our little son occupied the front of the wagon we had a huge old-fashioned feather bed that made sleeping above the boxes and barrels a trifle more comfortable during the day it was necessary to stow away the beds more compactly 
to enable us to get at the stores beneath them. This also was my work, while the men brushed and curried the stock, lubricated the wheels of the wagon, and reloaded the various camp equipage. James was kindly solicitous for the welfare of his cattle, giving the oxen the same careful grooming that our horse received, and they fared much better for this attention, looking sleek and fine for the extra care. When I had finished my part of the camp work, I would wrap myself in a warm shawl and start out on the road ahead of the team. The early spring mornings were keen and cold, and I felt the need of brisk exercise. I had always been an enthusiastic pedestrian and greatly enjoyed walking over the gently undulating plains of Kansas. It was our endeavor to make from 20 to 35 miles progress westward every day. If the weather permitted and the roads were not too heavy from the frequent rains, it was my habit to walk the entire distance. As I grew accustomed to the continued exercise, I could accomplish the long walk with ease. At other times, mounting my horse, I would enjoy a gallop over the prairies, occasionally getting a bad fall. My horse was a kind and gentle animal, but I soon discovered that he was possessed of one most treacherous fault, namely, when frightened, instead of swaying or shying sidewise, he would suddenly squat, and the best rider would become unseated. I had been thrown from his back once or twice in this manner, luckily without injury, and Sam, my brother, made great sport of my failure to stay in the saddle on these occasions. This mortified me exceedingly, as from my early childhood I had ridden horseback. There were few horses that I dared not mount, and I was extremely vain of my skill as an equestrian. However, one fine day he too came to grief. I had been riding for several hours, and becoming weary, dismounted. My brother vaulted lightly on the horse and rode swiftly away, while I stood admiring his graceful pose and the fearless manner in which he rode. Suddenly I saw him go flying out of the saddle and quickly strike the ground, and not on his feet either. After his own failure, he ceased to vex me with his jests and raillery. We had only been a few days out on our journey when we witnessed an electrical storm, something unusual at this time of the year. This storm was frightful in the extreme for us, as we were so unprotected from its fury. The sky was overcast with dark and threatening clouds. A low, sullen murmur as of a distant wind filled the air. The lightning blazed incessantly as it lit up the darkening horizon. The thunder burst forth in peal after peal of deafening reverberation. We hurriedly drove our frightened team into camp as this storm continued. By midnight a furious gale swept over the bare prairie. Our wagon, exposed to the fury of the wind, shook and rocked in such a manner that every moment we feared it would be overturned. Yet, with all this fury of the elements, scarcely a drop of rain fell in our vicinity. Further on we discovered next day by the condition of the roads that there must have been heavy showers. For the first two or three weeks it rained almost daily, which made the conditions very uncomfortable, and with difficulty we made our fires from the water-soaked wood and cooked our meals under the falling rain. When the days were bright and clear, the travel through Kansas was delightful. 
the aspect of the prairies in the early morning sunshine was most alluring the air was fresh and bracing filled with the fragrance of countless spring flowers and every little blade of grass hung with drops of dew that scintillated like jewels as they waved in the gentle breeze of morning the sweet note of the meadow-lark was music to the listening ear on every side was high waving grass that covered these vast stretches of undulating land i rode or walked over the tufted plain seeing unvexed by the sound of wheel or human voice the pleasant sights along the way the solitude upon this wide expanse of open plain was absolute no smoke arose in the clear air from any habitation no cattle browsed upon the succulent grasses no whistling ploughboy tore the sod-grown turf with his shining plough nor uprooted the tinted blue star flower that sprang up on every hand there were numerous winding streams fringed here and there with miniature forests our cattle grew sleek and fat with the nourishing food nature so lavishly provided and just within the woodland that fringed the banks of some small stream we would halt for the night happy to find both wood and water the two great essentials for a comfortable camp when we had been two weeks or more on the road we came to one of the largest streams in kansas the big blue timbered with sycamores cottonwood oaks and occasional elms after breakfast one morning my brother loaded his gun and took a short excursion in search of prairie hens we had seen numbers of them along the road much to his great disappointment and ours also he was unable to start a single one in the high grass this we learned was the fate of most huntsmen at this hour of the morning and season of the year these birds wait until the sun gets high and warm before they come forth from their hiding places to strut and coquette with each other this led sam to take a much longer detour than he had anticipated and it was nearly noon before he presented himself wet and bedraggled but triumphantly bearing one prairie hen only wounded by his shot it had weakly flown just beyond his reach until it led him near the shelving banks of the big blue when in a last successful effort to reach his fluttering victim he had stepped too near the edge of the crumbling banks of the river and huntsman and bird disappeared beneath the waters of the stream luckily grasping a willow sapling as he went down and still holding on to his feathered victim he pulled himself on shore and came back to camp elated with his adventure we enjoyed the flavor of the wild bird as our appetites had palled on salt meat up to this time wild game had been scarce along the road as we proceeded prairie chickens quail and the ring dove became more plentiful and proved a grateful addition to our larder here and there along our way we saw numerous dugouts which we were told were occupied by herdsmen these were supposed to be a secure shelter from the cyclones that came so suddenly upon these vast plains which were treeless and as lumber was scarce they also afforded cheap homes for the pioneer emigrants who occasionally settled here anything that looked like a home attracted us and brought to our minds the association of home life from which we were going further and further away while we were camping on the big blue we were in the midst of a large company who like ourselves were bound for pike's peak 
the beautiful undulating meadowlands were dotted here and there with tents the blue smoke from numerous campfires arose on all sides while huge prairie schooners were anchored within hailing distance in many instances like our own serving for tent and shelter cattle were leisurely feeding on the luxuriant grass campers were fishing or hunting along the stream while the women were on duties bent or sitting by their campfires the children of the emigrants released from the strain of travel were romping over bush and briar and their shouts of glee resounded as some unfortunate stubbed his brown uncovered toes and fell face forward on the soft earth as we approached nebraska the country became wild and somewhat more sterile all signs of human habitation disappeared entirely and with them the wild game became less abundant no longer the prairie hen or the quail flew from the grass as we approached though plovers and doves still seemed plentiful between big sandy and the little blue river was a monotonous drive hot and uncomfortable with only a few cottonwoods to enliven the landscape here we found a settler whose humble but comfortable cabin was filled with children of all ages they seemed to overflow from doors and windows their brown and sunburned faces forming a strange contrast to their tow-white hair we were invited to visit them in their humble home and were surprised to find so much culture and marks of refinement in this faraway land the mother was an educated eastern woman and in spite of the hard work necessary on a new farm and the encumbrance of a large and growing family she without the assistance of either maid or servant performed all the labors of her household and still found time to instruct her children in the rudiments of a good education her courtesy and good manners i never saw excelled in the best society while the cabin was very meagerly furnished yet on the cheap wooden shelves that adorned the walls were many good books of standard authors which bore the marks of being well read the children were clean and well clad although their clothing did not need the services of a french laundry neither did the mother have time to dwaddle away her time at bridge or go to card clubs even if these things had existed or been thought of in that isolated home on the plains of nebraska the father was a typical sturdy rancher both horseman and herdsman with a rich vein of humor combined with a strong common sense he proved to be most interesting amusing and instructive his fund of backwoods stories and his inexhaustible humor kept us in a constant roar of laughter we left these cheerful people with feelings of regret. End of chapter 2